0: question of this morning is, is that power, that same power being experienced in your life? Maybe this morning you find yourself in a spiritual funk, in a drought. Maybe you haven't been experiencing what it means to have the power of God working in your life. There may be a very explainable reason for that. I was... Thinking about the Ten Commandments this week as I was studying the text. And I was thinking that of, of all the Ten Commandments, there seems to be one that we're willing to sort of allow to be broken in our lives. We wouldn't really think that uh, coveting your neighbor's house and all his property and all of that's right. We, we don't think lying and giving false testimony or stealing or committing adultery or murder We wouldn't think of dishonoring the father and mother is right or not keeping the Sabbath sacred to God we wouldn't want to blaspheme the name of God and we wouldn't make for ourselves an idol but maybe just maybe the first commandment which says you shall have no other gods before me is the one that we tolerate being broken in our lives there doesn't seem to be a, out, an outrage, or the same outrage, over that commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. The people of Israel, in Elijah's day, were playing a very dangerous game with that commandment, that very one. They were trying to hold on to God, the God of their forefathers, and while they were investing in the foreign gods around them, their attention, their loyalty, their dependencies on those foreign gods and the economic plan of a first lady by the name of Jezebel. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I presume you do, would you please turn with me to First Kings Chapter 18, and of course, in this particular setting, there was help coming from neither direction. They were in a severe economic crisis. In fact, in the text of scriptures, it says, now the famine was severe. As far as any sign of divine intervention or influence or experience, the people of God were living with a severe power outage evidences of God's power had become as rare as the drops of rain for three and a half years it had not rained this is a significant crisis most of us aren't farmers and we don't think that much about things like that but if there is no rain there are no crops while most of us like to eat and need to eat if there are no crops there is no food And if there is no food there is no life this is a pretty serious matter and so in the text elijah stood before the people and asked a very very critical question how long will you limp we're going to go there in a few moments but That's the question that he asked of the people. That's the central question of the text we're looking at today. How long are you willing to limp? To know the living God, to to know who he is and all the power of the universe that is resident in him and to choose to live with a power outage in your life. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. Maybe that's what you've been experiencing for an extended period of time. It was three and a half years here. Maybe it's been years in your life since the last time you really experienced the power of God in your life to break you free of sin, to, to burden and passion your heart for the worship of God, to inflame your desire to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. To have confidence that God can deliver you from a health crisis or that God can help you in an economic crisis maybe it's been a long long time before you had confidence in the power of God in your life and so you're experiencing a severe power outage in your own life a spiritual drought instead of um, having an abundant empowered life you are only experiencing an anxious and exhausted one well today from this text I believe we can find out what's going on maybe in our lives and not only that but more importantly to diagnose God's solution what we need to enact in our lives so if you have your Bibles I want to look at first Kings chapter 18 I want to read a couple of the first verses and Give a little bit of commentary and then we'll move through the text this morning um, particularly verses 16 or 15 through 40. So first Kings chapter 18 after a long time in the third year the word of the Lord came to Elijah go and present yourself to Ahab now Ahab was the wicked king of Israel Commentary on his life a few chapters before says that he provoked the Lord more than all the other kings before him. It says, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. King Ahab had established Baal worship in the center, the central uh, uh, complex of Samaria. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was in charge of his palace. He was the uh, chief of state. Unlike the rest of the leadership at the time, Obadiah feared God and loved him and served him. You can read more about that, what he did. Obadiah was a devout believer, it says, in the Lord. While Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves. Now, I want to skip over the text and just let you know that, that um, Obadiah bumped into Elijah, the prophet. Elijah was considered one of the great prophets, so great, in fact, his name is mentioned throughout the New Testament right to the very end, Moses and Elijah being these two great central prophets of Israel. And Obadiah happened to bump into Elijah, who was the most hunted man in the land at the time. Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill him. So Obadiah was kind of afraid when he bumped into him, and Elijah said, don't be afraid. I'm going to present myself to King Ahab. Because Obadiah was afraid that he would be killed just from the fact that he saw him and didn't squeal on him as to where he was. He said, don't worry, I'm going to to present myself to Ahab. God God has sent me to Ahab, I'll present myself. And so we pick it up at verse 15 with that in mind. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve... I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? How would you like to be addressed that way? Is that you, you troubler of Canada? And then to have the boldness of Elijah the prophet to turn to the king who had all the power in the, in, in the uh, kingdom... And say this, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your father's family have. Not only did he take on Ahab, but he insulted his ancestors. It was true. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, the Baals were the the gods of the Canaanites, the gods of the Phoenicians, the gods of the Sidonians. Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, was a Sidonian. And she had... By influence, imported the gods of the Canaanites and mixed them in with the people of Israel. Now summon the people from over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Apostasy apostasy had become state-sponsored in Israel. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver? Now really, a more accurate translation, and I think really evokes some emotion to us, and what I used at the beginning this morning is what he really said is, how long will you limp? How long, Israel, are you going to limp when you serve the living God almighty of the universe? the Lord of angel armies, the Lord of hosts, and you're limping, how long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. I want to talk more about that later. Think about that. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Well, he was feeling a little down on himself, but we know there were some prophets hidden in some caves and there were others. But Baal has 450 prophets, and Asherah has 400. He was outnumbered 850 to 1. How would you like those odds? Get two two bulls for us, let them choose one for themselves. So that there could be no fixed election or no election fraud here. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. That's the challenge. Who is God? Who is God in your life? What is God in your life? Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. This is oozing with sarcasm, and as you read through this text, there's so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us! They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they—and here's the real word—they limped around the altar cool, eh? They had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. "Shout louder!" he said. "Surely he is a god." Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response No one answered. No one paid attention. Three no's. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Note that. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. May God richly bless this, the reading of his word to our hearts, Father, I pray this morning that you would open up our hearts, examine us, examine our ways, see if there be any wicked way in us, oh God. See if there be any disloyalty in our lives, Father. Would you help us to be honest before the Spirit of God this morning? Would you send the Spirit of God with power into this, this, your people, this midst, that we might... Be honest to you, O God, and that you might bring convicting upon our hearts. For we have failed you, surely we have failed you in these things. This is not a story of the past, this is our story. As we read through the details of this, O God, it becomes contemporary. So I pray, Father, that you would... Um, that you would take your word now and that it would pierce right through the bone, right through to the marrow of our lives, right to the soul. Because I feel that there is a power outage among us. That there is a spiritual drought that must be overcome. Overcome. And oh God, we are calling upon you to send the rains of revival. Send the rain of returned hearts. Send the rain of repentance, oh God. Send the rain of renewal. Send the reign of the power of the Spirit of God upon us. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. So how long? Will we limp I want to share five key actions this morning from this text of which there are no doubt many that will help you to know God's power in the event that you are not experiencing it five actions that I think are brought out in this text and the first is this from verse 15 you and I must be firmly convinced that God is all-powerful If we are to experience and know and live the power of God, we first must believe that God is all-powerful. Elijah was firmly convinced of that. As the Lord Almighty, he uses that term, Lord Shabboeth. um, Elohim Shabboeth, or uh, sorry, um, yeah, uh, Yahweh Shabboeth is what he says. Yahweh Shabboeth, the great I am of the armies of the Lord the heavenly hosts, whom I serve. You know, if most of us are living, I'm sure, in an outnumbered, outranked, outpowered situation in our lives, or it would appear that way. Just like Elijah. So how can you live fearlessly and confidently and faithfully, when you are so outnumbered by rival opinions of, of what is strong and who we can rely upon and who we should be dependent upon and who we should trust, we find ourselves wondering in Canada, what will happen to Canada on election day in the U.S. on Tuesday? What will, what will, how will that influence the power of the United States Uh, imposed upon Canada, and many are sitting wringing their hands, if this candidate gets elected, it will be very, very bad for us, or if this candidate gets elected, it will be be very, very bad for us. I want to remind you again, in case you've forgotten, no matter who gets elected, South of the border. Our God reigns over all the earth and over all the universe. He is the same Lord Almighty, the Lord of the heavenly hosts. He sets up nations and he takes nations down. He is the king over all kings. I want to remind you of that again so that your heart does not become weak and small and afraid. We are not outnumbered ever. Ever. Because the Lord Almighty is on our side. He can call 10,000 angels in a second. He can call 100,000 of the army hosts. He alone is the power over all this universe. So don't be dismayed. The Lord of hosts lives. Elijah said, I serve the living God. And we're going to see the showdown that the others didn't seem to be so lively. Israel had sold out to a crime syndicate couple at the top named Ahab and Jezebel. The first lady, Jezebel, was in charge of domestic and economic policy. She was the secretary of state, it would seem. She had abandoned the values of the divine constitution between Israel and her God. And it sold her soul to an immoral allegiance to the Baals, the gods of materialism. So child sacrifice was rampant in the land. The religion of sexual perversion and deviancy was common. The ways of foreign cultures and godless nations pervaded the people of God. She had placed... Godless religious leaders on her payroll they were in a mess and the question before them in this state of affairs they found themselves in who or what can we trust whose economic policy and strategies should we be trusting when It's godless at the top. It's godless at the top where we live. It's godless at the top south of the border regardless of who gets elected. So do we trust the godless state and its leadership or do we trust God? Who do you believe holds the power? When you wake up every morning... When you wake up Wednesday morning, who will be in power in the US? Who will be in power the next time we have an election? Does it worry you? Should it worry you? If the Lord Almighty is our God, if the living God is our God, who has the power to take care of you? Who can take care of you economically, physically, spiritually? Who can chase away a drought in your life? So do I sell out my values to get a job in the new world? Or am I firmly convinced that God is all-powerful? Beloved, it starts there. The power will return to your life. It starts there. There's a second observation I'd like to make this morning from this text, and that is this in terms of action. You and I need to resist and reject any compromise with a material-only worldview that dominates our modern landscape. I want to talk to you for a few moments about this whole setting that they found themselves in, because it was pitting Almighty God against the gods of the land. That was the showdown. But it was God who had turned off the water it was God who brought the drought God had turned off the water and only God could turn it back on do we understand that in our lives in the time of drought in a time of spiritual drought the time of a situation we find ourselves in Tony Evans makes a great observation in his book America turning a nation back to God when he says If God is your problem, only God is your solution. We have to resist and reject compromise with a material-only based worldview. We we here in Canada have returned to the peril of 880 B.C. That's the time that this text is, is centered, 880 B.C. Ahab had set up, as I said, a state-sponsored religious system that was completely driven by materialism. And the reason I say that is because Baal worship um, was a Canaanite religion. Um, um, Canaanites uh, were godless. They were committed. And all they were uh, concerned about, of course, is, the, is, is the, uh, the material world that they could see, the world that fed them. The world of fertility, and Baal was a God, the God of rain, the God of storms, and the God of fertility. But it was not a religion of morality, it was a religion of abject materialism. And materialism, if you're not, if you're not uh, certain of what that really means, materialism is simply that physical matter is the only reality. If you are a 100% pure materialist, then physical, material things, physical matter is your only reality. What you can see, what you can touch. That's everything. That's what's real. What what is real can be explained by the physical. And and I want to propose to you this morning that the modern mold from which, and the postmodern mold from which all of us in here have been and are increasingly being conformed to is a materialism worldview. Uh, All of us in this room have been educated in a virtually 100% material-based, materialism-based worldview. Darwin, Marx, Freud, the shapers and influence of virtually our entire education system were materialism worldview-based individuals. It was all about what you can see and what you can touch. That's the only reality. Virtually all of the unbelieving world is completely mastered by a materialistic worldview. And sadly, Because we have been so steeped in it, so outnumbered by it, so educated by it, that we are regularly, without even thinking or knowing, pulled into that worldview. When we talk to each other, there's regularly materialistic worldview ideology coming from our lips. And our actions are materialistic worldview based. So whether it's economics or science, or sociology or psychology, it is fundamentally materialistically worldview-based. That's our education system. And these disciplines of materialism have formed and shaped what we believe are the keys to successful living. Not God. Not a Christ-based worldview. a materialistic one I'm not just talking about being rich I'm talking about trusting in what you can see and touch and feel and have and this materialistic manifesto which is mixed with superstition in some cases and some not is how modern governments are socially engineering you and I, in the West and elsewhere in the world, to bring about societal prosperity or so-called societal prosperity. Whether it's welfare or population control or ecology, which is state-sponsored control of creation, or sexual gender liberation, the government wants to be your God. And they want to impose the state-sponsored agenda on all of us to make us materialists who are totally dependent on the physical government as our all in all. That's where you and I are living. That's not an exaggeration. That's where you and I, how you and I are being shaped, being conformed to this world. And what's the price the price is found in verse 18 you and I are being called systematically to abandon God's truth all the things that are coming at us from society from a godless leadership are asking us to abandon God's truth and accept The bales of the land we are reading our history here we are reading our newspaper right here in this text we're asked to to embrace state-sponsored apostasy or turning from god and that's what we've been witnessing year in and year out decade after decade an increasing spiral away from the truth of god It's very telling in verse 30 that it says the altar of the Lord needed to be repaired. It shouldn't surprise us that they were lacking in the power of God. They had allowed the center of God worship to fall into disrepair. And maybe, just maybe, you've allowed the altar in your heart to God to become in disrepair. Because that's where the altar is today. The altar in God's people is right in your heart. The center of worship, the center of Jesus' worship is your heart. Now, let me ask you this morning, in this power outage moment that you're facing, this this spiritual drought moment that you're facing, have you allowed the altar that rightly belongs to Jesus Christ to to be loyal to Christ to fall into disrepair and to ruin? The things you have and see are easily... Dominating the landscape of your life and maybe immobilizing any spiritual sensitivity you have. And the weight of material conspiracy is immense. Every enterprise, every institution in our culture is seeking to help us to believe that security can be had through accumulation. If you have more, you can protect your life. Video guys or girls, who's up there, guys, I think. Is it video guys? Don't want to be gender insensitive here. <laughs> video guys, show that picture if you don't mind. On your left is a relief carving of the god Baal. On your right is a relief statue not a relief i guess it's actually a statue of the god Baal in new york city the center of the economic enterprise of the world if you think i'm a conspiracy conspiracy theorist as i've been stating all of this i'm not it's before our very eyes we are a market driven people In the market we trust. I think one of the great ironies of life is the American currency. It's the ultimate irony. When you hold up an American bill in front of you, or even the coin, it says, In God we trust could there be a more inappropriate place to put that than on money? That's the very counter to trusting in God. And I'm not down on money. We collected an offering this morning to, to finance the enterprise of the advancing of the kingdom of God. But in God we trust, really? Whose idea was that to put it on currency? Was it to somehow help them to feel Better about their guilt? Oh yes, I have lots of money, but in God I trust. The truth of the matter is, Jesus said you cannot. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and Baal. You will hate the one and love the other, or you will despise the one and be devoted to the other. You can't walk this journey of balance. You have to pick who God is. Materialism, by the way, will seek to kill anyone who brings a counter message. Elijah was targeted for death. So brothers and sisters, do not abandon the truth as the gods of materialism from all of our institutions are foisting their influence upon you. Do not sell out the word of God. That's a feeble amen. Do not sell out the word of God. Do not there's a third observation I want to make here the the material famine that was by the way the result of a spiritual famine that's the order of things if you've got a material famine going on in your life it's probably because you first of all had a spiritual famine going on in your life so Elijah asked the question how long will you limp how long will you waver between two opinions how long will you be disloyal and have some sort of dual allegiance or try to somehow balance the two and walk on this balance between God and Baal, between God and materialism. How long will you do this dance? Because you're limping along. And the people said nothing. Now, I, I want to dramatize a little bit what I think Elijah was doing. How long, he says to them, will you waver between God Almighty and the gods of the land, the Baals, you, you would have expected a few people in the audience to say, amen, or yes, when he said, God Almighty. When, when you have expected just a few to, 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 even out of shame, to say, yes, yes, we will serve God. What are we thinking? But no, it was the people said nothing. You know why they said Nothing because in their heart of hearts at that given time, they weren't really sure who they should be serving. The horror of their life had come to the place they had so long been seduced by the material world and the gods of the people around them that they no longer knew who really was powerful. So they said nothing. Elijah always knew he had some work to do, but on that moment, he, he knew he had a lot of work to do. How long will you limp, double-minded, tentative, living a contradiction in your life, trying to serve both? I want to tell you that the the third strategy or the third action that must, must, must be taken in your life is this. You must view God. I must view God. We must view God and his kingdom as an investment. Investment. There's a reason that I, I say that. Elijah says, how long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, and NIV translated it kind of in a, in, in, you know, accurately, but it's sort of emotionally feeble. Here's what Elijah said. How long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, go after him. Something, doesn't this sound a little different than Follow follow Him, follow God, how about go after Him? You know, when, when, when you saw the, the love of your life walking down the street, did you just turn to your friends and say, I'm going to go follow that person? And you said, I'm going after that girl. She's worth it. That's what Elijah said. Then go after God. But if the Baals are who you want to serve, then go after them. Stop this limping around. It's like the Joshua challenge. Choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the living God. We will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh, the great I Am. Go after him. He's not incidental to your life. He's not accidental to your life. He's intentional to your life. You want to know what it is to have the power of God in your life? Then make him intentional in your life. Not accidental. Not a leftover. Not incidental. Not if I have time. Make him the intention of your life. Make him an investment of your life. Go after him with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul. Harvey Cox in an article in the U.S. Catholic Journal and a title called The Market is My Shepherd and I Shall Want and Want and Want makes this observation asks this important question, actually. Is the Lord and everything in it really the Lord's? Now, I want you to think about that and soak it in for a few moments. Is, is the Lord, is the earth and everything in it as the scriptures tell us, truly the Lord's? And then he goes on to make this statement on the back end of the question. Or do you actually own some of it? I don't know, you know, I've had a lot of time to soak that question in. I've been working on this for the week. I stopped and thought about that. Wow. You know, I spout off, oh yes, the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it But don't you touch my backyard (laughs) Because I own that I paid a lot of money for that Is that the way we think It is the way we think I Own my house. I own my land. I own my car. I own my clothes. I Own my bank my bank account. I own my my uh, retirement account can I dispose of anything I choose for any reason that I want I I guess I can if I own it but what if God owns it like I say he does is is the Lord my place of peace and tranquility or do I have to buy it at a beach with a book or maybe at a non-christian life coach who offers me other dependencies is mobilizing more important than community should I go wherever the market tells me to go or should I go where God tells me to go how do I decide about my offerings to the Lord How do I decide about my taxes? Will Justin Trudeau take my leftovers? Or my retirement savings? Or the other things that I've purchased? Is consuming for me an investment strategy so that I have nothing left? Is the Lord a leftover when it comes to my offerings? I think this is the kind of silence that Elijah faced that day. It'll be hard, you know, to call our nation, our neighbors, our children to the values of a king and a kingdom that we don't really value ourselves. The power of the Lord is experienced by those who go after him Go after him. The Lord is an investment, not an afterthought, not a leftover. When I um, prepare to give my offering envelopes, it's not what's left over. It's an already pre-planned investment from the beginning of the year. And then there are surprises along the way. The reason I have two envelopes is because there's the Haiti gift. That was a surprise along the way. Fourthly, your place you must place your life completely in the hands of the one who can answer you when you come calling. Uh, the showdown here was all about the God who answers, who can answer. the criterion of this showdown was whose God can actually answer you know when a health crisis comes when an economic crisis comes when a relationship crisis comes when a job crisis comes who can answer you is your bank account going to take care of all of those things The God who answers by fire, he is God. And so this is this great showdown where where Elijah challenges all the prophets of Baal and challenges and puts it before God and and, and you've already heard the story. It's a really really simple story and it works out very, very clearly. There's not a lot that needs to be explained here but the showdown is which God can actually hear you when you call him? Who is actually the prayer answering God? The gods of money or the materialism or the God of the universe, the great I am. Who's the God you're going to really need? And Elijah says, well, I'm, I'm only doing what God asked me to do. The whole fire thing was Leviticus 9.24. God had already demonstrated before to reveal himself in the fire many times through scripture. It anticipates rain, by the way, because lightning and fire have something to do with each other it marks off the presence of god god led them by the fire and by the cloud it, it it points out the acceptance of the sacrifice who's going to accept the sacrifice bales or god who can do that who can even do that who really is the bringer of rain it's not josh donaldson it's god and so there's an allegiance renewal moment here where uh god says uh um, your name shall be israel remember i'm the one who named you i'm the one who called you i'm the one who called you to myself i'm the one who's claimed you for myself i'm the one who's loyal to you why are you being disloyal to me and then he has them build 12 stones, an altar of 12 stones, the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and by this time, the, 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 the community of Israel had split in disunity, and there was Judah and Israel. And God is saying, I don't want any of that. I'm having none of that. I, I don't buy that. There's a one people of God, and he asks them to build a, a, an altar of 12 stones. And then he asks them to pour water on it. How many buckets of water does he ask them to pour? Class? thank you 12. why 12? a gain of visual of of God and the unity of God's people and that there might be no shenanigans that the thing was soaking wet and as, as some people observed in the first service almost precious commodity of the moment was water and they were using it allegedly just wasting it on an altar they needed the water this was a showdown can God look after us even if we give away what we need and God's fire came and when God's fire comes it consumes everything not just wood but the very stones were consumed imagine that how hot that fire has to be and the soil is consumed and the water is licked up and the sacrifice is burned. A God who answers is God. And He answered. And the prophets were limping and shouting and cutting themselves because there was no one to hear them. Finally, if you're going to get out of this spiritual funk you're in and know and experience the power of God. You and I need to chase out of our life every replacement power that has been allowed to accumulate and interfere with the freedom of God to do whatever he wants in our life. This it requires an act of commitment and loyalty to God. That's why Elijah said, seize all these prophets of Baal and, er, and, and have them destroyed. By the way, the Asherah prophets had slunk away. They knew to get out of there. And so, uh, don't let anyone get away. And I I believe God is telling you this morning, don't let any replacement God get away in your life. Get rid of them all. Materialism is a powerful trap. We've been steeped in it. We've been raised in it. We've been enculturated in it. We've been educated in it. We have been so inundated... uh, it, it, it has shaped our lives and our minds. It causes you to explain and rationalize God away and trust in other things. Ahab was an eyewitness to the greatest power, great, greatest power demonstration of God of the time. And he walked away and limped back to his wife. Ahab saw God's power. And stayed trapped in Baal materialism. And I want to tell you that I believe Ahab couldn't get out. He had become so enmeshed in materialism that he had no strength to get out. He had sold himself off to a system, a system invested too deeply in material things. He had a materialistic wife. A materialistic position and a materialistic posture in his life. And so do some of us. His whole house of cards was supported by his allegiance to another God or gods. Some of us are trapped in materialistic marital expectations. If one of us wanted out we couldn't get out because the other person doesn't won't let us out some of us are living a lifestyle that's really just keeping God at bay we want him but not too much of him others of us are owned by our job so we can own things Be careful. Be careful. Its grip is seductive. You may in turn pass your soul over to materialism and pass on God. The rich young man came to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, you know, And I think he was just kind of like us. He said to Jesus, you know, I kept all the commandments. What more do I need to do? And you know what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, without saying to him, there's one commandment that you aren't keeping and you haven't kept. So go sell all that you have because you're a rich man. And give it to the poor and then... Come and go after me. It says that he walked away sad because he had many things. Why did he walk away sad? Because he actually wasn't keeping the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so his money made it impossible for him to be willing to follow hard after Jesus Christ. Does Christ want all of us to do the same? Is that that a lesson for everybody? Go sell everything you have and give to the poor? No, no, it's not that. The question is this. Are you able and free to do whatever Jesus' mission is for you? That if he says, this is my mission, there is nothing in your life that would be another God that would interfere with what he wants for you. How long are you going to continue to limp? Our Father, I pray this morning that you will take your message and your word and the history that's repeating itself And help us not to be the people of God of 880 B.C. Unless we're willing in the facing of a showdown to say, the Lord, he is God. And mean it from our hearts. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. So how should we respond? What's the the takeaway? What's the challenge? It seems to me that all of us here want all of God's power to help us. We want all of God's loyalty toward us, but we're not so certain we want to be entirely loyal to God back. So I suggest that each of us, and it will be different for all of us, but each of us need to have our own Mount Carmel showdown to decide Who and what is God in our lives? If it's God, then go after Him. If it's the things you have, then go after them. Some of us need to make some serious changes in our lives to make a declaration of who really is God. When you bring your offering envelope next Sunday, don't bring leftovers. Bring an investment and every Sunday thereafter. An investment fitting a generous God whose loyalty you want completely for you. Maybe some of you are just frittering away your time. You claim you have no time for God, but you're gaming it for eight, ten hours a day. Think how much time you could be spending in your D.C. study instead of playing games what do you think God sees when he sees that or or maybe like me maybe, maybe I'm spending too much time watching sports I mean maybe need to ask the Lord about that now I can't go and ask my neighbor to Christmas program I gotta watch a football game All of us have something we better pay attention to in a Mount Carmel showdown today, right now. Because we may be in a real power outage here at Calvary, and these are not days, they're not getting easier. The systems and the institutions are bearing down on us a hundred miles an hour in favor of materialism and other gods. And we are being asked to bow to those And abandon our God and His truth. And we will cave if we don't have the power of God resident and alive and in action in our lives. This is no time to be weak, to limp. If God is the Lord, go after Him. Go after Him. Oh God, this is your message to us and a challenge to us who is the Lord go after him please O God by the power of your spirit convict and convince us of the application personally of our own personal Mount Carmel showdown for your glory I pray in Jesus name amen